0: that. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Of course, let's talk about Isaiah. Isaiah being a prophet of God who spoke on God's behalf to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah. and This book filled of 66 chapters, the first 39 chapters, is a message of God's judgment to uh, the current leaders of the time. Their rebellion against god would come at a cost and that this was isaiah's message to the leaders of the time but it was also combined this first 39 chapters of the book also combined with this message of hope right throughout and the message of hope from the prophet isaiah would be that god would send a future king from the line of david look just a quick summary of the book of isaiah It focuses on Isaiah's vision for both judgment and also hope for Jerusalem. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your living and active word. Father, would you speak truth and hope into the hearts of each and every person that can hear my voice ultimately, Your Holy Spirit working through me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, Isaiah, if you don't know, uh, the book of Isaiah has the most messianic scriptures in any book of the Bible. What does that mean? It means it's a scripture foretelling the Messiah, and let's start in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 this morning, where it says, For unto who? For unto us a child is born. Unto who? Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Aren't you thankful for that? And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Incredible names. Don't let that go uh, past too quickly. Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and he's the Prince of Peace. And so starting of November, we're embarking on this journey entitled Unto Who? Unto Us. What we're trying to do in these next four weeks is actually in finding us, finding us in the Christmas story. And we've got this great slide. Sorry, did we just put that up? Is that okay? Here we go. The team have gone to a great, great work of putting this together. Unto us, finding us in the Christmas story, in the decorations. Great job, Ben and the team there, Chantel. Great job to the team who put that together. But this series, look, right from where it goes, is a great reminder to us of the impact of the birth of Christ. It's helping us understand and apply the nativity story. So what did Jesus really bring Us is the question we're asking, and is it something we, us, can count on? And so because of that, week one today, we're going to talk about God with us. Week two, next week, we're going to talk about God for us, because it's good news for everyone. Week three, we're going to talk about God through us, what God might want to do through us. And we're going to finish it up in week four, the end of November. In light of what God has given to us, what do we, what do us, what do we give back to God? For a God who's given us everything, what do we give back to Him? So here we go. Week one, let's kick it off. God with us. Thank you. God with us. Now, to get to this point in history, We have to, in fact, go back in history. You see, as we move from the Old Testament into the New Testament, um, the Bible is silent. We have to go back. The Bible is silent almost uh, around about 400 years. In fact, theologians would call this period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they would call it the silent years. And it's not as if anything didn't happen. In fact, a lot happens in history in those 400 years. Um, uh, The Greeks rule, can I encourage you to do a little bit of homework this week? I'm going to give you a bit of homework. In your 20 minutes in the chair, can I encourage you to do a little bit of homework? What happens between the Old and the New Testament in that silent year period? And of course, as I mentioned, the Greeks rule, the the Romans rise to power and pretty much take over uh, pretty much everything. But we've got the people, we've got the land, and we've got the law. But what is missing is this divine leader. And so from God's view, the most significant thing to happen next in his story, in history, is the birth of his some and so after all the events of the old testament it's as if god takes a big breath and holds his breath and christmas is the letting out of god and the breathing in of new life and a new story into our world and so from malachi chapter 4 the last book of the Bible, the last chapter, sorry, of the Old Testament and into Matthew chapter 1 is a, the a significant events begin to happen and the story is in fact rapidly changing. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 1 because here's our text for this morning. It's this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, but... All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet: "The virgin will conceive, and by the way, this is Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen. The virgin will conceive and give." But it's still Matthew chapter one. This is a fulfilment of the Old Testament coming into the New. Give birth to a son, and they will call him. Say this name with me: They will call him Emmanuel, which means. Say this with me: God with us. God with us. You see, this verse goes to the heart of the Christmas story, but also to the heart of the Christian faith. The name given to Jesus, Emmanuel. God with us. Can I start by saying this this morning? That God has called us as a Christian church to live for Jesus Christ And communicate the Christian faith in a culture of spiritual confusion now of course that brings about incredible challenges but wonderful opportunities we heard five different stories last week three in the morning two different ones at night in regards to what God is doing with us now now Having said that, there's a vast majority, vast majority of our world think that Christianity is one version of spirituality, thinking that it's in fact too narrow and is therefore best when it is mixed with something else. And this is the context in which we are called to communicate the unique claims of Jesus Christ. And so we live with this tension, don't we? We live this with this tension of there being two sides to the gospel, gospel meaning good news. So we know it's offense, but we see its glory. We know it's offense, but we see its glory. Where do we see it? We see it right in these three words. What were they? God with us. God with us. Because to call a child born into this world, at that time in history, Emmanuel was utterly offensive, yet at the same time, glorious. And so, if you choose to associate yourself with Jesus Christ, this is what you're going to share in. You will share in the offense, but you'll also share in the glory. You see, in the Christian faith, we can't actually separate the two of them, because Christianity at its heart is about a cross and also a crown and they are both embraced by jesus himself and if you embrace him you cannot embrace the one without the other and that's why jesus said if you are going to follow me take up whose cross take up your cross if you are going to follow me take up your cross and so and so as an authentic follower of Jesus you I we if you choose that path have to be ready for both we need to understand the offense that you will become a part of but also you need to be convinced of the glory in which you will share first let's go to the offense Let's talk about the offense. Why is this so offensive? Here's the answer. God with us. God with us. Firstly, Matthew, in Matthew chapter one, is talking about the one God of the Old Testament coming to be with us, we'll get to that in a moment, in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you open the New Testament to the book of Matthew, you will see what begins with a long list of names commonly referred to the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, listing the generations right through the Old Testament history from Abraham onwards And that is incredibly important. As much as you and I like to skip all over those funny looking names and things like that. It's incredibly important for us to understand the line from which Jesus comes. Here's why. The central claim of Christianity is that the God who made himself known in the Old Testament has come to us in Jesus Christ. And the New Testament, as I get to the end of Malachi, the New Testament is bound to the Old Testament for good reason. Once again, once again, the claim of Christianity is that all of the revelation of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that the God who made himself known in the Old Testament has come to us in Jesus. And so this causes us to pause just for a moment and let's take a look at him. Let's take a look at the God of the Old Testament. But we've got to understand that Paul's writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy, I'm guessing, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. We've got to start from here. We've got to start from here. Because Paul's writing to Timothy, encourages us about the church, and he says this, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. I'm going to say that again. That the church is the pillar. I love these words. And foundation of the truth. That's what Paul says to Timothy, Timothy 1 Timothy 3 verse 15. So when you come here to the church, into the church, you should hear the truth. Three people are hearing the truth. You should hear the truth. So I want you now to buckle up. I want you to put your seatbelts on because here comes the truth. The Old Testament tells us that there is only one God, and he is the creator of all things. He is the one who gives life and breath to all people in every generation and in every culture. He has made himself known to Abraham Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. He, the one God, made a covenant with one group of people, the Jews, and through them, it was his purpose that all people, all nations of the world, would come to know him. Now, this is significant because it means this. It means that all all people of the world are accountable to him whether they know him or not whether they believe him or not or whether they obey him or not you see the old testament teaches us that because there is only one god all other gods are idols they are products of human imagination or culture you see idolatry derives from the command given to us in exodus chapter 20 that you will have no other gods before me and of course of course the old testament is totally aware that the nations of this world worship many many different gods and the old testament in fact mentions many by name bell Baal, Nebel, Morlock, Dagon, and many others. Now, these are the names of gods that were worshipped in ancient times in various culture. Idolatry, idolatry, idolatry is simply when a person invents a god for themselves. And that can be a, a number of ways, uh, whether through wood or uh, stone or writing a book and things like that. But idolatry, I've written up here, idolatry is any kind, is any kind of teaching that presents God in a way that is different from who he really is. Idolatry is any kind of teaching that presents God in a way that is different from who he really is. And so, summarize just for a moment, the old testament says that there is one creator. God, and that he has made himself known to Moses and all other claims to the title of God are idols. They are a product of history and of culture only. There is only one God. And when Matthew says, when Matthew says, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and they will call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. He's talking about the God of the Old Testament, the one living, the one eternal, the one true God who is who he is. And this God, the only God, came to be with us in the person of a tiny child whose name is Jesus. Now, once again... This name in the time of Jesus was so offensive, so offensive, that they did all sorts of things to Jesus and of course eventually crucified Jesus. But is it any different in our culture today? It will always be, always be fundamentally offensive to say there is only one God that there is absolute truth who has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ, yet, yet, that is central to the Christian faith. Absolute faith, Steve. Absolute faith. You see, absolute truth. Um, Truth is relative, isn't it, Steve? Truth is relative. Since there is no one in charge, since there is nobody to answer to, Since there is no judge, truth isn't absolute. Truth is relative, isn't it, Steve? Truth can be whatever you want it to be. You can have your truth, and I can have my truth. There isn't any such thing as absolute truth it's whatever we vote in as truth you see truth's relative isn't it you see since nobody is in charge and the truth is whatever you decide it is then you have to leave us alone to do whatever we want to do sound familiar truth is absolute truth you see there are absolute laws in the physical world let me explain it like this absolute laws in the physical world take gravity as one example there the laws of the spiritual world and the moral world are absolutely absolute as the laws of nature. And by the way, this is where you will find it. This is where you will find it. Let's come back. Let me come back. I've got to lift bit off track. Um, let's flip it. Let's flip it just for a moment if we could. Because if Jesus, if Jesus is not God, if Jesus is not God, we don't know God. If Jesus is not God, We do not know God. Once again, the central claim of Christianity is that coming to Jesus Christ, you are coming to God. You see, it's in honoring Jesus that you also are honoring God. If you dishonor Jesus, you are also dishonoring God. If you are obeying Jesus, you are also obeying God. If you resist Jesus, you're also resisting God. Once again, if Jesus is not God, we do not know God. Secondly, if Jesus is not God, the cross, the cross from which Jesus died is simply an act of cruelty, injustice, and abuse. Certainly not the gift of love in which Scripture teaches us. You see, if Jesus is not God, he was sentenced for crimes that he did not commit. But if Jesus is, if Jesus is God with us, and he chose to lay down his life, then what happened on the cross was this, that God, God gave himself for us. God gave himself for us and the central claim of Christianity is that Jesus Christ is that God is with us so the question to us this morning is this are you ready to be associated with that offense are you ready because wouldn't it be easier just in our culture come on Steve come down a little bit to say that Jesus yes was an incredible historical figure, a bit like Gandhi, who had some great insights, and we commend him to you, and we go about living our way. We go about living a simple good life. Wouldn't that be just a little bit easier? We can't do that. We can't do that. Why? Because our calling is to proclaim him, But if you will proclaim him, guess what? Guess what? The world will call you arrogant. The world will call you intolerant. And the world will think you've got a narrow mind. So if you are going to live for Jesus, you better be ready to embrace the offense. But can I also add this? We best be careful not to add to the offense. Why? Because our calling is to humbly, gently, lovingly, be radically as inclusive as we possibly can. To look another person, another person in the eye and say, I do not believe you are an accidental product, product of history. That you are made in the crea- in, by a creator and he loves you. And maybe this is for you this morning. Maybe this is what you need to hear this morning. And he has made himself known in history. And he's entered history in a person whose name is Jesus. And by believing in him, you can know him and you can find peace with God. And his name is Emmanuel. In the Hebrew, meaning God with us. God with us. Now that's the offense. Let's move on to the glory part. I'm thinking glad about that. The glory is this. If the offense is God, the one true life giving creator, God, the glory, the glory is God with us. God with us. But the big question is, as we turn to the book of Matthew, who is Matthew referring to when he says us? Is it the Jews? It's got to be the Aussies. No, it's the Americans, God bless America, and I mean that, by the way. God, it's got to be the Americans. No, surely it's sincere people, isn't it? It's the sincere people of this world. The people who live a good life. The question this morning is this, who are the us that God is with? When two nations go to war, who is God with? When we have an election, which party is God with? When a husband and We won't go there, we won't go there. But uh, who is God committed to at these times? Let's get the context. When you're reading scripture and somebody tries to contradict something with you, what do you do? We told in Bible college to get context. What's the context? Because a lot of stuff is talked in and out of context. So who's the us? Who's the us? In Matthew chapter 1, where he says, Emmanuel, God is with us the Gospel of Matthew is written to who? It's written to the early Christian church. What's the early Christian church going through at the writing of Matthew? Christians, believers at the time, are enduring. Incredible. I can't think of a proper word. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's the word, but I'm trying to think of the word before, persecution. Ah, incredible persecution, I'll just go with that for the moment, for their declaration of Jesus Christ. The Christian preaching of Jesus was regarded in the Roman Empire as being so rebellious. This is the context. When we're reading scripture and you're trying to take things out of your own kind of understanding, and sometimes we have to, I get it, because God's interpretation and Holy Spirit, I get that, but the context of this is that they were experiencing incredible persecutions of the christians had to meet secretly in caves do you have a car park <laughs> we don't even have a building we don't even have a building we meet in caves if see if you lived if you lived in the first century the question would not have been are my friends going to be there today the issue would have been can i risk getting caught going to the gathering of people today and returning home safely. Will I get there safely and will I return safely? You see, at the beginning of his gospel, Matthew, he opens it up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by reminding these communities of believers around the Roman Empire as the church was spreading out that the name given to Jesus is what? Emmanuel, God with us. We are facing overwhelming, aggressive dictatorship, but we know that we have a God. His name is Emmanuel, and he is with us. If you're observant enough, Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 28, there's 28 chapters in the book of Matthew. You'll understand in Matthew chapter 1, and this is, this is the, the writings of Matthew, that the presence of God, right? Smack bang in the middle, right? So that where two or more are gathered, there I am. Matthew chapter 1. Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Where was I? That's like the bookends. It's like the bookends, like book that God is with us at the start of Matthew, and God is saying, uh, "Here we go. Here we go." <laughs> Sorry, I can't read. Therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to what? Teaching them uh, to obey. It's a key word in that passage, by the way teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you for. What's this last one? I want to get this right. Oh, there it is. This is the end of Matthew. This is the sending. This is me going. Oh, can we bring that back up, please? Thank you. Surely, and surely, surely, the start of Matthew, I am with you in the middle of Matthew, where two or more, there I am, peeps, there I am. And right over again, Matthew chapter one, I am with you, when? How long? Always. To when? To the very end. Do you think he's trying to get a message through to us? I am with you to the very end of the age. And this is what Matthew was about, that the presence of God is with his people. Think about it. Think about it. This idea of his presence, the presence of God, the creator, was actually with a small persecuted minority group who met underground in caves, must have seemed Unlikely beyond belief. I'm glad I got that wording. Unlikely beyond belief. But this is precisely what Matthew was saying as we start this series unto us that his name is Emmanuel. And that means in the Hebrew that God is with us. And guess what? He is still with us today. And guess what? That changes everything. That is an absolute game-changer. And it's with that same conviction that what we can do together, what we can do together, us, is far, far more than any one of us can do alone. Why? Because he is Emmanuel, meaning God. Offensive, with, here's the glory, us. You see, if God is with us, if God is with us, what does that mean for everybody else? Well, that's part one. You'll have to wait for next week and the week after and the week after. Let me pray for us as we get ready to stand and sing our final song this morning. You see, as we pray, all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed for a holy moment just in this moment. As we meet together, us, we Creator God. With so much going on in our hearts and our lives, you see, it's all summed up in John three sixteen. For God so loved us, uh-uh. for so God, for God so loved the world, there it is. For God so loved the world, as all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, that He gave a part of Himself. That whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life, that the God who is absolutely holy, that the God who is in charge of everything, the God who is sovereign over everything, so loved you, so loved the world, that he is with us, and that's why Christmas and this season is an incredible event. Father, thank you for the truth of your name, Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we know it's offense, but we see its glory. And it's in your presence this morning, right in this holy moment, that we find hope again. We find healing in your name. Forgiveness, grace, truth, and peace beyond anything this world has to offer. May we proclaim him and live, with, live for him So, Heavenly Father, it's by the power and it's only by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would reveal your presence right now to those who need to know it the most. And maybe for you, as all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe for you this morning, you're not living in the presence of God and haven't yet received and accepted the gift of God's love through his Son, Jesus Christ. I'm inviting you right now to be made right with God be made right with God, to be set free from self and sin because you know in your heart of hearts, you need his grace, you need his forgiveness, and you need his mercy. And what you simply do is simply say yes. Say yes. I give you my life. The Bible says that the old is gone, And the new has come. I give you my life. The Bible says that those who call upon the name of our God will be saved. But it comes through his son, the gift of love for us. And I want you to say this little prayer. Dear God, just say it in your heart of hearts. Dear God, today I trust you to forgive me of all of my sins and make me brand new. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you, so I can live for you and show your love for the rest of my life. My life is no longer my own. I give it to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we encourage those people this morning? We may not know who did that this morning. Can we encourage those people who prayed that prayer this morning? Is that okay?